Opinions expressed on ACB Media are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect the views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. Thank you, Michael Moran, for that uh, exciting introduction. And um, tonight we are we are going back to something we started but didn't finish a couple of weeks ago. I hope everybody attended the ACB board meeting and and listened to every excruciating moment of that exciting <laughs> event. <laughs> um, there, there were lots of things that I found out that night that I did not know about. So if if you didn't go, there are probably things you don't know. <laughs> so, Miss Marianne, how are you, dear? I am well, Paul. Good to be here again. How are you today? I am well, thank you. And awesome. hand raiser extraordinaire, Miss Marianne, is with us. And our our producer extraordinary, Mr. Mr. Rick Morin is here. Rick, hey, how Paul. are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you. And hello, Mitch. <laughs> Good to hear from you. Excellent. And, of course, our streamer, Mr. Larry Gassman. Hey, sir. Hi, how are you? You doing well? I am doing well. Yeah, I thank think I, you. Since I saw you last, uh, I was at Disneyland twice. I went to Seattle and performed in some radio plays and came back and um, jumped right into 87 degree weather so what could be better that is that is excellent yep yep and we and we do have a guest with us brian is running a little late because he's celebrating christmas at perkins um he will be with us shortly but we do have a special guest tonight who i'd like to welcome early on mr mitch pomerantz hey sir hey good evening and uh well here it's still afternoon but uh for for uh, most everybody else, it's evening, and it's uh, thank you for the invitation. It's good to be here. You're more than welcome. So, the last time that that we talked, we 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 spent a good deal of time talking about the way that society treats those of us who are who are blind, and the way that uh, or or the kinds of expectations that we ought to have of them. And at least to a degree, we're looking at the flip side of that coin this evening in that what we are at least exploring to a degree is what is it that society has a right to expect of us as blind people? And if we are making demands of society, does that require us to assume any responsibilities? So... That basically is the question that we're going to be exploring this evening. I, I think it's an interesting question. Probably the area where it has operated the most has to do with Title II of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which covers state government and local governments. And there are a number of things that people who are blind um, have been able to get as a result of those laws and as a result of those rules. Um, and one of the questions uh, that that I think is out there is whether we've made good use of them. Um, so Mitch Pomerantz, who is with, with us this evening, is not only a, a nationally famous trainer, uh, on the ADA, but also worked for Los Angeles County um, as an ADA coordinator and trainer. 
um, and therefore is just the sort of person that we want to have on this program to help us come to terms with the questions we're exploring. Um, do you think that that blind people have gotten a, a fair amount out of Title II, Mitch? Well, let me let me begin by saying that I I actually worked for the city of Los Angeles, Sorry, uh, not the county, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> but that's that's uh, that's fine. Al. I think the city did a far better job than the county did. Uh, I think it's a mixed bag. Um, it was not easy to get implemented all of the requirements uh, under Title II of um, the ADA requirements. And a lot of it, aside from, you know, people in government, I don't have a problem using the word bureaucrat because uh, no. I was one for 34 years. Um, but I, I think aside from the natural inertia that that you see in in any government entity, um, there was always the issue of, of funding, and we had we had an interesting situation back in 1999. Um, we had drafted our uh, transition plan. We were only what seven years late, eight years late, something like that. Mm -hmm. And and we were running into all kinds of of issues, and we finally uh, and I'm not going to mention her name. Several people would know her, uh, given her position today. But a woman who used to run the Western Law Center on Disability Rights here in Los Angeles basically came to me and said, "If if the city doesn't pass." your transition plan and implement it, begin implementing it, we're going to sue you. And I and our uh, department head, uh, at the time we were part of, we were in the Department on Disability for the city, and we were able to go to the first city council committee that uh, we needed to run the plan by, and we got, we were able to tell them that. And it's amazing how um, rapidly, that got some action. Right. So, you know, when when you ask, have we benefited? I'd, I'd say in a lot of ways we have. In some ways we haven't. And I, I suspect that's the case with, with pretty much any any law you're going to pass. Um, and, and it certainly, it was the case... 25 years ago, uh, when we got our transition plan passed, uh, it's probably double the, double the situation, double the instance now. Right. I think that, I think the, the, that there was, at least to start with, a willingness on the part of a lot of cities to try, to try to do a good job. I know that Miami, where I lived, was probably streets and roads ahead of, of many um, of many entities in terms of the approach that they took to the ADA. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, um, I think that they're probably right near the bottom now, um, to, which is perhaps an indication of how things have changed. Do you think that in general, Mitch, 
Um, enforcement of Title II has become less important to state and local government in the past 20 years? Enforcement is only as good as the community advocates are. There were times when I had limitations on what I could do, although being civil service helped because yep. uh, it would have been very difficult to fire me. Mm-hmm. But there were times when I went to the community, uh, the, the, the blind community, the independent living community, and I said, I need you to do this. This is what mm-hmm. this is an obstacle we're encountering, and I need you to to mm-hmm. say to the powers that be, hey, we need to get this done uh, or else. So I don't know. You know look what's happened in Chicago with, with the uh, APSs, the, the accessible pedestrian signal. Right. That wouldn't have happened. You know, litigation is a last resort. It's it's time consuming. It takes forever, but you do what you got to do, and either through advocacy, uh, going to city council meetings, whatever it takes, or ultimately, if you don't get a result, going and and finding a, a supportive uh, disability rights attorney or law firm. So it it's really a matter. Uh, enforcement really has a lot to do with. Uh, with with your advocates, and also the job. You know, one of my big jobs as I was our uh, I was ADA compliance officer was was my title, and one of the jobs I had was to educate uh, our, our government workers. folks. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> would Would you say? Uh, so, well, let, let me just be candid. I I think that kind of training. Is, is probably one of the more important outcomes from the ADA. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And, and of course, you mentioned training. Um, even before I became uh, involved with the ADA, during the 80s, uh, I was a certified windmills trainer, tilting at windmills, yes. which is now international in scope. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just had... Uh, Don and I just had breakfast a couple of Sundays ago with uh, with the fellow who um, uh, whose organization uh, provides the the lion's share of that training, um, and and so I was doing disability awareness training throughout the eighties uh, for city employees, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I moved into uh, the ADA position in the early nineties. Um, and but still, you know, the education the education process was was not as much training at that point. But you know, you go to meetings. Uh, municipalities and counties always have meetings, and and talking about what we need. And the fact too, I think it's really important for people with disabilities to be working in government and in the private sector to set an example right kind of gets back to the talk a couple of weeks ago but but folks saw me uh and other blind and visually impaired city employees we had probably at one time six or six or seven with varying degrees Mm -hmm. of vision and and i think that helped too um you know that 
that we were out there, we were we were doing our job. Some of us did a good job. Some of us not so good, just like everybody else. Sure. Do you think there's do you think there's value in having either a citywide or or a countywide kind of disability rights council that reports to the city council or reports to the to the mayor or something? Well, our we had a. Um, our the ADA activity started out in the personnel department, mm-hmm. uh, which is where I spent the first twenty years of my work life with the city, and then we we advocated and became our own department. And our we've we've actually had since the early seventies. At that time, it was called the LA Council for the Handicapped. I was a charter right. member, and I chaired it um, under Tom Bradley, Mayor Tom Bradley. Yeah, uh, and by the time we became our own department, we became a uh, a city uh, city commission on disability. And I, uh, the irony of all that is, the last several years I was uh, I was the staff person for that commission. And when you have a representative from each council district, and we have fifteen council districts in the city. Um, if that person, if, if that representative that appointee is doing his or her job, they should be getting back to their, their council member periodically and letting them know what's going on. Yes. Um, and, and so that's important. And, and also, I, I, was, um, I reported directly to our executive director, um, and the, the first one that I uh, worked under, she had very close ties um, to a couple of the uh, administrations, uh, the mayoral administrations. And, and that really made a difference. Um, when, she, when she left, uh, her replacement, who was somebody I had worked with and knew well, and we actually competed for the job, but she got it and I didn't as executive mm-hmm. director. She was a little less well-connected and a little less willing to beat on the mayor's door. And, uh, and uh, you know, she did as, uh, the best job she could. I don't think she had the, the energy or the, or the willingness to, to do what, what her predecessor had done. But... Yeah, I think I think you really need to to try and make uh, the elected officials aware of of what uh, what the needs of the community are. And does it does a commission do that well, or 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 do you use the commission perhaps in combination with over specific issues, kind of appearing before the city council in in their general sessions? Um, there were there were times. Uh, actually, I I don't remember uh, an instance where our commission or a or the chair, let's say, of the commission went before council. Um, I did a couple of times. My yep. uh, my executive director uh, did more than a couple of times. Sure. Uh, especially when it came to uh, to our budget. Uh, one of the things we successfully lobbied for, and you talk about Title II, I also, I also had some involvement with, with uh, Title I because I was the person who got the requests uh, from 
departments with employees with disabilities who needed accommodations. Right. Um, and, you know, we provided some, uh, some uh, drag and dictate systems. You know, they were kind of in the early days there in the late 90s, early 2000s. I retired in 2008, so, uh, you know, they're four or five generations beyond Mm-hmm. that we we provided a lot of uh there <laughs> i think half the population have have uh have bad backs and so we we provided a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of, of uh, desk chairs good chairs <laughs> yeah exactly so so i was involved in that too but we went we had to go to to the city council and and even in fact i think that happened before i got my position um we had a an la uh uh, com- uh, employee organization of persons with disabilities, and we actually did lobby the city council, and we got an accommodation fund uh, on an annual basis, and I yep. oversaw that accommodation fund when Excellent. I became ADA compliance officer. Yeah, we, we ended up doing the same thing in Miami-Dade County, but um, uh, you know, certainly in Miami-Dade County, the 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 degree of of involvement and concern um, is is far less significant and important than it is now. And whereas there were um, there were there were all kinds of employees in the ADA department at one point <clears throat> in Miami Dade, um, people who were responsible actually for kind of supervising the the implementation of of projects throughout the county. Um, that no longer exists at all. It's all been left up to um, the individual departments, and so uh, yeah. a lot less is happening. Well, and again, uh, New Year's Eve uh, will be my 15th uh, year of retirement, uh, although I did ADA consulting with a, with an right. engineer uh, for, for several years. But, uh, you know, I don't hear much about what's going on there now, but what I do right. hear, it doesn't sound as if um, things are things are progressing. Um, I know we responded uh, myself and the uh, woman that I was consulting with. They put out the city put out an RFP request for proposal. They wanted to um, draft a new ADA transition plan, and I think this was like 2016, uh, Mm -hmm. 2017 or 18. And we went to the bidders, the first bidders meeting, and we were so um, displeased with how they were going to handle it and divvy up the work that we walked out of the meeting when it ended and we got back into her car and we both agreed we're not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Yep. Yeah, I I think that's that's coming to be more and more common in terms of some of the interactions. On the other hand, the Department of Justice has entered into agreements with both states and cities over the past 10 or 15 years um, to try to deal with some of the most egregious disregarding of the ADA. So that's probably a good thing, yes? Oh, absolutely. I, I get their, I get their, uh, their notices. Although I've got to say, Paul, that I don't get nearly as many as I did, let's say, prior to uh, 2017. Yeah. I used to get 
I got multiple uh, uh, emails from DOJ uh, talking about all kinds of different things, and things clearly slowed down under under uh, President Trump. But even since then, since 2021, I I'm I get them, but yeah. I'm not sure they're quite as proactive now as they were 10 years ago. Oh, I don't think I I absolutely agree with you. I don't think they are. <clears throat> I think that um, uh, that a lot of us had had this notion that when uh, when when we got um, a new president, um, things would begin to move, and that that really, for the most part, for the most part, hasn't happened at all. No. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting. So let's talk about some individual results of the ADA. Uh, accessible pedestrian signals is a, is probably the earliest example of something that was eventually kind of arrived at as an appropriate sort of accretive solution for folks who are blind and have low vision. So they they how did how did you guys in in Los <laughs> Angeles handle deciding where to put them? Well, <laughs> I'm smiling because for the first several years, at least in my position, um, the city, no, the county of San Diego had put out a, a document that was basically a, it was a survey and, and people who wanted APSs had to fill it out and had to meet a certain standard in order for there to be an APS. Well, uh, L.A. City Department of Transportation, uh, they had two assistant general managers, one of whom was very supportive of uh, accessibility issues, and the other one mm -hmm. uh, was the opposite. And he used to um, make every effort to slow or stop altogether the uh, installation, uh, determining where they needed to be, et cetera. He followed that survey uh, and the guidelines uh, right. from that survey to the absolute letter. Mm -hmm. uh, it was very, very difficult through the 90s, and ultimately, uh, I think he was, uh, I, I think the city found a way of terminating him, actually. And things became a whole lot easier after that to to get APSs. We uh, I got to see those requests, and um, and pretty much um, we we got a, a, a number of them. We got them installed. Although um, I guess uh, as a result of this uh, former assistant general manager, the city was still even into the 2000s um trying to use uh trying to purchase the the old style um, oh no beep beep chirp chirp ones yeah and and there are still some around now i have to say that thankfully um uh, we've lived in pasadena for coming up on uh 22 years and it's a whole different situation here. I don't, I don't spend a whole lot of time in L.A., so I'm really not sure today 
Uh, I think that uh, that they're they've now gotten the picture and gotten with the program and putting in the the more acceptable ones now. But it's it's interesting. We can still hear them uh, in Los Angeles in certain parts of the city. In fact, they're all along um, the street that the Braille Institute is located on. They had some of the original uh, APSs installed for obvious reasons. And right. they are still, at least the last time we were down there, they were still using cheap, cheap cuckoo, and uh, which aren't very helpful, but uh, that's what they have. But Pasadena here is a totally different situation, and, and I give a lot of that credit to Donna, to my wife, Excellent. who served on our Accessibility and Disability Commission for several years and uh, pushed uh, APS is here, and um, in fact, uh, they've just, uh, in fact, they're doing uh, sidewalk repair all along the street we live on, and we're Excellent. three blocks from a main, uh, well, three blocks from a, one major street and two blocks from another major street. We, we're two blocks off Colorado Boulevard where uh, the Rose Parade is, and where the little old right. lady from Pasadena used to navigate, <laughs> and and but they've just um, they've just put in an APS at our corner, and we're three blocks we're three blocks from the main drag. So things that's excellent. Thanks to thanks to Donna's efforts and the efforts of the the Accessibility Commission here, uh, they've they've had a we we've got a lot more APSs. Uh, and and in places where they're really needed here, and we've even got a couple of spots here where we've got the countdown signals, and which I know some O and M people oppose. Uh, I don't. I think they're fantastic, and we've I, got I a kind of like them too. Yeah, and we've got a couple of signals where, uh, and I forget the term where you where the signal allows you to step off the curb a few seconds before the parallel traffic. Um, and we've got a couple of places where, where those have been installed as well. That's excellent. Do you, um, do you think that, that, um, that, or do you know whether Pasadena actually implemented essentially a plan where they determined where they were going to go, or did they leave it up to the kind of people who were demanding it and putting it where people wanted it? I never saw a plan per se, uh, and and Donna hasn't been a commissioner for a bunch of years, so nice. I don't really know. But um, yep. up until about a year ago, um, the my my counterpart with the city of Pasadena was tremendous, mm -hmm. uh, and she she knew the ADA backwards, forwards, and sideways. She also That's happened excellent. to be an attorney. And um, she was very, very supportive of, uh, of installing APSs. And, of course, the irony is a year ago she left to go to work for my old employer, the city of Los Angeles, in my old mm -hmm. department. <laughs> and uh, I, I haven't spoken to her, but I can only imagine that she's probably at her wit's end having to deal with uh, <laughs> with some of those folks. But. I don't know if they had a plan or not, but but we're seeing them all over the city of Pasadena. That's for sure. So, how much have you heard, if anything, uh, and 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 we'll open it up soon to talk about uh, accessible pedestrian signals. But 
One of the things that, that I used to hear quite often in Miami, particularly over the past couple of years, is individuals want uh, an accessible pedestrian signal. But if we put accessible pedestrian signals at busy intersections, <laughs> we find that for the most part, they're not being used. And we find that blind people are using paratransit and blind people are um are are getting involved with uh being dropped off by friends or relatives or or perhaps using buses but definitely not not any longer doing nearly as much walking as they used to um have you heard oh, any of that Mitch? yeah and i i can speak from personal experience paul I don't do as much, anywhere near as much independent travel as I did even five years ago. I'm 73. I, I yep. now wear two hearing aids. Yep. Um, we're, the, the blindness community, we're getting older. And so because of that, I think, uh, that becomes a factor. Every time we use uh, our paratransit service in, in, in uh in this area, uh, when we have a share ride, it's almost always with somebody who's older than us, certainly older yeah. than me. Yeah. Um, but but I think there's another there's another factor that maybe you haven't even considered, particularly mm -hmm. for for those of us who live in big cities. It ain't as safe as it used to be. Um, we live in a pretty um, crime free area of Pasadena. But we have a, an area of Pasadena that has serious crime issue, has gang issues. Um, I think that any of us who pay attention to the news um, cannot be unaware that it is becoming less safe to travel, particularly at night. Um, when you start having a lot of gray hair, and I'm now mostly gray, um, the bad element sees us as victims potentially. Now, unless somebody pulls well, a knife on me, if they get too close to me, I think I could handle somebody. But yeah. the reality is, we're victims. We're we're perceived as victims, and I think a lot of us. The white cane probably makes us victims to a degree as well, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, I how many blind people have you known who said I'm getting a guide dog because I'll feel safer? Oh, I think that's right. So, right. so I think that the age, uh, us getting older, and and among the younger blind people, and I don't want to sound like the the guy who says get 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 off my lawn, yeah. But I I think a lot of younger disabled people, uh, just as a lot of younger people in general, um, want to take the easy way out, and if they can take a Lyft or an Uber. Um, they're going to do it rather than, than, you know, hopping on a bus or, or, you know, walking half a mile, yep. at least, you know, that's, that's my, that's my take on the issue. So I, I think you're right. I think there are a lot less blind people, visually impaired people on the streets, but for those reasons. So, um, Ms. Marianne, any thoughts on what we've talked about so far? 
Yeah, I agree with Mitch um, completely. I think a lot of um, our, it's our generation. And I know there was a time when I would go from, you know, Bayonne to Newark and Jersey City and into New York without a blink of an eye. And my favorite expression now is I've been there and done that. So if I can get a <laughs> pair of transit, you know, instead and go door to door, that's what I'm going to choose to do at my age. Um, I, I think that um, neighborhood, I would love to see, and I just moved into Bethlehem, so I'm not in that position yet, but I'd love to see a couple of um, APSs just on some of the busier streets just in my neighborhood. And then, you know, I could see using those, but correct, walking in, you know, just out in the big city, um, not so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mr. we carry sorry mr gatsman any thoughts well i i live 45 minutes from los angeles i live in orange county uh -huh. in a much smaller city i i wouldn't mm -hmm. go to la on a bet the only reason i go to la anymore <laughs> is if i have to fly out of there i don't yeah. think it's safe now i don't think it's safe for sighted people either so i'm not just saying it's specifically you're right for blind people and older blind people uh, I I have I take a lot more risk. I took a lot more risks long time ago. I don't do that mm -hmm. anymore because I do, it's not safe. I don't yeah. think it's a good idea. Yes, sir. He's absolutely correct. Yeah. We carry pepper spray, Paul, at, at certain hey. certain times when we're going out. We oh. we know how to use it. That must be. And fun. We carry pepper spray. <laughs> sure, makes sense. Yeah. Um, Rick, thoughts before we open it up? Yeah. Well. It, I mean, you mentioned Uber and Lyft before. Mm -hmm. um, that was transformational for me. I mean, I used to walk quite a bit. And then when Uber and Lyft came about, you know, I found myself taking that a lot more often. I also get out and go from point to point much more often than I used to as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, I use paratransit, but, uh, uh, you know, I... I, I also live in areas that don't have very good sidewalks. So to me, mm -hmm. the problem is the problem isn't APSs. The problems is the sidewalks. And of course, you know, you got the sidewalks and then you got the APS problems. But but yeah, I, I I totally agree. And you know, I'm 69. I'm not getting any younger. And uh, one of the things I'm having trouble doing these days is walking. So you yeah, know, well, uh, I hear all of well, that. Well, and to Marion's comment. Um, we have a we have a cheesecake factory not too far from us in what's called Old Town Pasadena. It's it's actually the cheesecake fa uh, uh, factory that is portrayed in uh, in uh, the Big Bang Theory. Although it's it's not set up quite the way it says in the in the program. Mm -hmm. But um, Donna's parents thankfully are both alive. Her dad's about to hit ninety. Um, oh. They had they had friends who, um, in broad daylight, uh, were waiting to get in, and and the man was was attacked mm, and was seriously wow. injured. Um, he actually was lucky because two or three weeks later, the uh, the perpetrator was arrested. He he killed a, a young lady in a in a store. So oh. uh, I guess in a way. Um, their friend got away lucky, but that was broad bleeping daylight mm -hmm. when that happened mm. for no reason at all. And and was it a was it a robbery? I mean, did he did he take did he take the guy or just, just a, uh, he just got he just got sideways and decided this would be a good guy to beat the crud out of. Wow. Mm. 
How bizarre. Well, you guys are very convincing. <laughs> so let's open it for a little while, Miss Marion, and see if Miss Marianne and see if we have any any folks who would like to chime in and then we'll talk about some of the other elements. Um, we have Larry and, Johnson. And, yes, sir. Oh my. There. Am I? There he is. Gotcha. All right. Yeah, well, I'll talk a little bit about APS because we had a very successful APS program here in San Antonio. Uh, and I want to say, and you haven't really addressed this, uh, one of the important ways that blind people can get things done, if you will, is through a very active and and united blind uh, community and uh, 15 years ago I, I was in my mid-70s and we had a very active about 75 member Alamo Council of the Blind group and so when you have that kind of constituency you can uh, you can make an impact uh, one of the things that we did, we had a very good uh, disability uh, access office director, and uh, she was very supportive of the installation of APSs. And we were up, I don't know where we are now, but we were up to about 95 uh, installations for the city of San Antonio, which was kind That's of excellent. a record more than any other city in Texas. And ahead of a lot of cities throughout the country of comparable size. But uh, one of the things that we did was um, we deployed some of our volunteers to go out and check every one of the installations to be sure that it was still in working order and that, that it had not experienced any damage and that the volume was correct and provided that information back to the city. And uh, they uh, allocated a, a an annual budget for installation and uh, maintenance of uh, the APSs. <clears throat> and, um, and we broadly uh, broadcast and announced to organizations and agencies serving blind people to let us know about um, street crossings where they felt it was important to have a, an APS. And so that's how they they de determined where to locate these installations. And they kept pretty current with the request. So in that regard, I think our APS program was very successful. I don't know where it is today because I'm no longer really active with the local chapter of ACB and the local chapter has sadly diminished from, as I said, the high we had back in 2008 and 2009 of about 75. I think they're, they now have maybe 15. So that is one of the key elements when you want to accomplish something you have to have 
the uh, the membership support to be able to do it yeah it's it's good to also have friends in high places but if you have the the membership uh, and you're able to show up at council meetings and committee meetings and and uh, and get the press and the media involved then you can do things but to your point and i think it's a very valid one of how valuable today are those APSs? How how much do we utilize them? How how much mobility do blind folks have today, and even require it or or wish to have it? And 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 the fact of the matter is, it's much much less than what it used to be for reasons that Mitch and you have expressed and. And uh, part of it is, again, our own doing, because we have had to battle very hard to get our paratransit system to uh, accommodate some of the special requirements of blind and visually impaired passengers. They, you know, they they had this policy of not dropping you at the curb and not going to the door to let you know they were there. So they Right. pull up their chariot at the at the door and i mean at the uh, at the curb and maybe maybe the curb the curb is a good you know 50 feet away from the entrance to the building where right. you're right. coming out of so so we had to really uh fight for uh for uh, basically door to door pickup and drop off and we've been successful in that so now more blind people are finding it more convenient to utilize uh, the paratransit system so we don't have to be concerned really about uh whether there is a uh an APS or not one of the latest issues that I proposed to my councilman and to our city manager which was always bugged me, and I don't know if you've had better success in your cities, and that is uh, parking driveways to city public buildings where you can't really tell where the driveway entrance ends and the street begins because there's no discernible tactile you know, ridge Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I've been trying to recently bring up the issue well we need to have some kind of tactile warning script so that somebody with a white cane can walk along and feel the edge and you don't want to go beyond this or you're out in traffic right anyway that's it mr larry thank you for your call sir and it's good to hear from you again but um to talk to you again um that goes back to the early days of, of the ADA discussions about what the ADA should uh, be required require of, of cities and counties and what shouldn't. And I think one of the issues, if, if I'm remembering, was that if you put tactile strips adjacent to driveways, somebody might get confused and think that they were coming to a street when they were coming to a driveway or more seriously thinking they were coming to a driveway when they were actually approaching a street. street. 
when there was very little traffic. So that idea, Larry, was certainly contemplated, but ultimately dismissed. Now, you have to have warnings when you go from, well, for example, our local Kaiser. Uh, uh, you have to enter the building uh, by going around and going into, not into the parking lot, but adjacent to the parking lot. And they are required and do have uh, strips to let you know that you're leaving the sidewalk and coming into uh, an area where cars park and or yep. drive. Yeah, mm-hmm. but but they they did talk about requiring something for driveways, but uh, ultimately that was uh, that was uh, decided not to do that. Well, yeah. I, I don't understand the opposition to it because I'm not talking about the strip going across the sidewalk, but rather going where the curb normally would be. Yeah, not sure it, that it, was. Yeah, I'm not sure that was ever talked about uh, the way you're describing it. Yeah, I mean that that's what uh, that's what you know would be helpful if you're walking on the sidewalk. That's fine, but when you get to the parking lot entrance. You know, you don't. You no longer have a curb to to right, trail, right? And so, to have yeah. some kind of tactile guide yeah. is what I'm talking about. And there, there is a company, or at least a couple of them out there, that do that kind of tactile installation. I think sure. it's called Techway or something to that effect. And so, that's what we're advocating for. Right. Right. Well, let us that's know how it works, Larry. Yep, let us know how it works. Thank you, sir. Sure. Ms. Marianne? Yep, we have Janet and Keith. Janet and Keith from Georgia. Yes, I was going to say something about what Marianne said. Seems to me it sounds like she was from New Jersey. And we used Access Link <laughs> all the time in New Jersey. She knew that. Access- yep. <laughs> well, Access Link was wonderful. But mm-hmm. I, I could walk down my street, five houses, get on the bus, and be in Manhattan in 15 minutes across the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. And you feel safe when you're walking in Manhattan. The streets are north and the avenues are north and south. The streets are mm-hmm. east and west. They're all numerical. You can find your way around anywhere. I never used and- a cane because I was afraid I would look like that target, that, that person that everybody was going to want to mug. And, and, um, You'd be just as comfortable doing that now, Miss Janet? Absolutely. Yep. But I don't because I went to the school for the blind. I lived there for three months and I learned how to use a cane. And it was, to me, the biggest life changer that I ever had. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I didn't. Absolutely. I don't know why mm-hmm. I didn't do it 20 years earlier. Mm-hmm. But that's a that's a topic for a different uh, right. program, Paul, about people who who don't use canes. <laughs> it's really true. I, I tell yes. people all the time they don't know what they're missing until they get a cane and then they feel like they've lost years of their life. Yeah, oh, I, I, I think that's right. Now, now you live in a pretty rural area now. Is that mm-hmm. right, Miss Janet? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I, without sidewalks, it's really difficult, but I prefer then to walk on the street when we do walk because I don't like these up and downs and the curbs and which curb is higher and lower. And I feel much more comfortable with my cane walking on the street when we do walk. Mm -hmm. And 
you feel I feel confident that way. But in are there are there places that are close enough for you to go to that it make that walking makes sense or? Yes, there's parks. There's parks nice. we, can, we can go to, and we do live in a subdivision that has sidewalks. But I prefer to use the street than a sidewalk. Going up and down people's driveways, and you, you yep. just don't know how people maintain their sidewalk. I just feel mm -hmm. more confident near the street, on the street, near the curb. But then again, in Georgia, they have these things that we never had in New Jersey. They have these little dips that go down by the curb. And in the beginning, when I first started walking around here, and I've been here since 2009, I started twisting my ankles by all these curbs. What are these dips here? And I, I guess they were for, for drainage or something. Yeah, but the, the, they have much deeper drains in the south. They, they really do. And it's... Mm -hmm. You just you just feel more conf I felt more confident in the north than I do down here, but if I might just say something, Paul, that Marianne said last week, I wanted to address. Sure. I, I'm just going to how people expect so much from blind people, Marianne. You you mentioned last week makeup, and that's the biggest question I ever had on all my tours. How do you do your makeup? Being blind, how do you get your makeup on so perfectly? Well, because I don't use a mirror, because I don't use sight, because I use my fingers and feel everything. Right. It's amazing that they can't believe. Yeah, I just true. had that question yesterday. Somebody <laughs> asked me, I can't believe, are you really blind? Your makeup looks so awesome. Well, I think that that's just a general thing. People can't imagine how they would do anything with their eyes closed. You know, I don't, I don't think it's just makeup, but it's true. It's people can't imagine, oh my gosh, if I couldn't see, how would I do any of that? So that's exactly. just standard, standard procedure. Yeah. And, and, and I know Mitch always did well with his makeup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh ab ab absolutely. Particularly the uh, black eyeliner. <laughs> and the uh, mascara <laughs> on your lashes. <laughs> no, our, our version of, our version of that is shaving. Shaving. Yeah, it is. And I, and I have a mustache, oh. so so I need to keep it trimmed. Although uh, once every six weeks, when I go get a haircut, uh, I've got our uh, our the woman who cuts my hair and Donna's. Uh, she can trim it, but but yeah, I mean trimming a mustache, but that's a feel thing too. It, it but is again it really most is. sighted most sighted people just don't don't get it. They can't imagine it. That's no. all. But, but you know, Mitch, my hair my hair is down to my to my buttocks and i cut my own hair i trim my own hair ah. and no my who comes and does keith's hair she'll say to me do you need a trim i said no i just trimmed it yesterday <laughs> and, and they uh, but you I'm figure out a Janet. way to do it you figure yeah. out how to do it yeah i am impressed <clears throat> thank you so much for your call miss janet and <laughs> say hey to keith for us oh he's right here yeah, i'm here <laughs> Thanks for hey, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, you know, Paul, before I go ahead, um, yeah. I, I was thinking about the whole paratransit versus buses thing, therefore, APSs is, you know, once. So, for instance, when I lived in Fort Myers or that area, it would take me if I were to take buses, which would have, which would undoubtedly entail crossing some busy streets, it'd take me probably two hours or more to get to the beach, right, where I could get on paratransit and get there in 45 minutes. 
So that's, you know, just a big reason why, you know, we, who would choose that? What I, don't I, hear that. Like, I don't have anything like access link here. So, yeah, we had pretty good paratransit. Okay, sorry. We have um, Melody. Ms. Holloway. Hello. You know, we need a separate topic on what we figured out how to do and adapt that we never knew we would. We can give each other advice. It's just unusual. What? Um, I, I would love to, now that I got out of there, I was actually safer in the neighborhood with my parents. I just went safe at home. Now that I got out, the area I moved to, and I had really no choice with my financial capabilities, it's not safe. The police were outside my apartment door Black Friday. It was, um, I was recently told by both leader and pilot dogs when I tried to apply for their O&M um, programs that I probably currently don't have the stamina. 38, my Ellers Danlos keeps me from walking farther. The food on my ears keeps me from hearing street crossings effectively. We do have a lot of the newer APSs, and I would love to be able to try out OCO more than just demoing out our convention um, but I do use paratransit almost exclusively our on-demand service Uber and Lyft if I have to. Um, my PTSD has become so debilitating that I am traumatized. And there are a lot of sirens that go up and down our streets. But I thought mm -hmm. when I got out of there, I was going to be able to pursue O&M. And it's kind of where our mailboxes are is even too ghetto for me to try to go. And there are people that are afraid to do it at night. So I for the, it's kind of a hard for the most. For the most part, in your area, Melody, do you feel pretty safe going out or, or not? Um, there are a lot of security and service protection people around, apparently, and there are security cameras. Since I don't always know where they are, there, there are a lot of fights and a lot of people that are doing things that are not okay. So I mm -hmm. don't always feel safe when I'm waiting on a ride or waiting on a delivery. Um, there are a lot of neighbors that look out for me, though. I never, I'm not used to my additional conditions that are a lot more debilitating. I thought all I had was blindness. So it's kind of, uh, and because I'm not hearing and processing as well, I don't necessarily feel safe. I have to have a watch at the ready. And the, the accessible voting machines that were mentioned in the, um, the yeah, email. Hang, hang loose. We're going to get to those shortly. Okay. Okay. Hang loose. Thank you, Miss Melody. Thank you. Mm -hmm. We have Mary Elizabeth Bowden. Yeah, Elizabeth. there you go, Miss Miss Elizabeth. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, I think a lot of it also is in order to use these systems that we put in. You also have to be have the training to be able to be safe walking around, and in a lot of some cities, that's not available they don't have O&M that teaches people to do that so you think that that a lack of training is a big issue for 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 lessening people's willingness to to what to yes. walk or to yeah fair enough it's much simpler to show people how to use door-to-door -door mm -hmm. or um you know use a bus than to walk the streets Mm -hmm. And then also Excellent. some of the the um, signals are put in places where I think a couple of ours are, where people mm -hmm. wouldn't walk because they were told by mobility 
real good mobility instructors that it was unsafe, oh, even with our enough. dogs and things. Yeah. So I think yep. that has, and I know safety is a thing because I had a um, partially sighted person that does walk around a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And she was happy that she got her cane and she, um, you know, because now people know that she's visually impaired and she loves it, but she was also attacked. And so she asked me, how come I don't see a lot of blind people walking around? I said, safety, especially yeah. in your part of town. Her part of town's over near the university and yeah. it's not safe to walk there. I wouldn't yeah. walk there. Huh. So I think there's a lot of factors and maybe some of them can be paralleled for the general population as well. When we think about this, we also have to think um, in terms of, okay, what are the differences in pedestrian travel today? No, I think you're right. Yep. Thank you very much, Miss Miss Elizabeth. You're welcome. Appreciate have it. Have a great one. Okay. Thank you. All to Elizabeth's point about... Uh, about safety to the and and the lack of uh, O and M training in a lot of places. Uh, uh, we had quite a discussion this summer at the convention about uh, the use of occupational therapists and whether whether you know uh, we should we should uh, you know have have more of them whether they should be certified et cetera et cetera et cetera and. You know, my concern has always been that an awful lot of them uh, only know peripherally about blindness. Sure. And it's and and they just like the sighted public at large have a lot of stereotypes, a lot of crazy notions about us. Yeah. And and unless <clears throat> they receive uh, proper training, uh, are they going to do us more harm than good? Well, I, I think that that is, may well be a bus that's left the station already because, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, o, OTs um, are coverable under, under Medicare. And yep. so whether we like it or not, uh, folks who, who don't have a lot of money to spend as agencies are going to hire OTs regardless yep. of their qualifications. So. You know, and and one other point about APSs and why they're important. Right. Um, what they've done here in Pasadena, at least, is we're seeing um, an increasing number of intersections where you have um, where cars can turn before the light actually allows you as a pedestrian to cross. There's an interval at a lot of our intersections. Right. Or turning, and if you simply use the old-fashioned method of deciding when it's safe to cross the street, yes. namely, you you step out as soon as you hear the car to your immediate left accelerate. Right. Uh, you, you, it's not a good thing. So it is not. So the APSs are set up that they're not going to they're not going to do their thing until that part of the cycle has. Uh, has changed and and then you know that uh, it's okay although you still have to pay attention to what's happening in the street that's an interesting approach it's it's not one i've thought about a lot but i think it isn't a, a really interesting approach so i'm going to change the subject 
And I'm going to take us back to around the year 2000 when, uh, for the for, uh, largely as a result of Bush versus Gore, the issue of voting machines became a major issue. And, and I think partly as a result of that, <clears throat> a lot of states, certainly Florida, developed accessible voting machines that were that were made available in in every single county which is which is a good thing and and i'm assuming that a, a similar uh a similar thing happened in the state of california yes yeah absolutely and i'm i'm smiling again because i have a story yes <laughs> um we worked la city has elections and so i I had communications <clears throat> with our elections, uh, the head of our elections uh, office. But the first time, uh, it, well, first little backtracking. Understand, unless uh, where folks are listening is different from any other from, from California, the typical people who volunteer to be poll workers mm -hmm. are senior citizens. Yes, they are. Uh, now, Certainly what's in Florida, that's the case. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what's happened, although in in uh, even when I was still working for the city, is is we would pay people uh, a, a day's pay, but to be election workers. But for the most mm -hmm. part, they're still seniors. And the first time that I had the opportunity to use a uh, voting machine. Um, Donna was on the commission, our, our Access and Disability Commission, and she actually had been trained as a poll worker. So uh, she had already voted. We walked over to the library uh, about four or five blocks from here, and she said, I don't want to interfere. She said, I'm going to go take a walk. Um, I'll be back in 15 minutes or 20 minutes. So I go in. And I asked the poll worker, uh, and there were two or three there, to please set up the machine. Even though they had been trained, they couldn't remember how to set up the machine. Mm -hmm. They tried for 10 minutes, and I finally called Donna. I said, babe, we got a problem here. These very nice people don't remember how to set up the accessible voting machine. She came back and showed them and I voted. I will admit, I have my periods of laziness too. I have voted absentee ever since. Okay. So <laughs> I just, so, I just, I don't want so to deal with it. So let's talk about, let's talk about that. Um, presumably you voted, you voted absentee inaccessibly for a lot yes. of the time yeah now do you have do you have an an accessible absentee ballot situation in california not yet now? not yet uh, they're working do on you, it but it hasn't not, happened yet what what do you think of the idea of requesting um accessible absentee ballots is is that an appropriate thing Oh, absolutely, um, and and I really hadn't thought of it, although yesterday I got an email from the county uh, because we're, uh, we are uh, independent. We don't, we're not registered with either party, right? and so they were telling us what we need to do if we want to have on our ballots 
the uh, the election for president. So I, I really hadn't thought about it until uh, until getting that email yesterday. But yeah, I, you know, that's perfectly appropriate, and I may uh, I may indeed do that because I'd love to vote uh, independently. We certainly trust the uh, the person that is serving as our reader as our assistant right. at this point. But yeah, it'd be great if we could vote uh, if we could vote independently. I'm not sure how far along that is in in uh, California, but it's it's not something that's uh, that's available statewide yet. Do do you see do you see any problem or 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 any issue with suddenly asking for um, mail-in absentee ballots? Uh, at the same time as you are considering, or con- excuse me, I can't le- I can't speak. Continuing um, to demand that uh, all that an accessible voting machine be available in every precinct. No, I really don't, because um, more and more people in California, and I can only base this on California, um, but. More and more, it may even now be a majority of voters vote absentee. Right. Um, so it's a choice issue. And if if a sighted person has the choice of going to a polling place, and these days another issue, and it's a little off the track, but not quite, um, there are fewer polling places um, because it's a requirement that polling places be accessible and what I know has happened in Los Angeles and what has happened in Pasadena is they set up polling centers mm-hmm. where four or five quote-unquote precincts vote in the same place. Mm-hmm. But if sighted people have that choice to go to the polls or to vote absentee, so should we. Fair enough. In terms of... Uh, in, in, in terms of... In terms of long-term solutions to voting issues, let's assume that California gets a a return ballot situation. That is, that a blind person can vote using an absentee ballot completely independently. Um, that is, uh, he can do all the signing he has to. It can be electronically returned, and um, and and there doesn't need to be. Um, any any involvement of of putting stuff in envelopes and so on and sending them back and signing this and doing other things that that constitute, in my opinion, barriers to the accessibility of the of the mm-hmm. accessible mail ballot. Um, let's assume all those problems are solved. Um, what would you say if if the if California or the country said? Well, now that you've got a fully accessible way that you can vote, um, you don't need machines anymore. Again, it's an issue of choice. And mm-hmm. as long as sighted folks can choose how they want to vote, uh, we should have the same, the same, uh, the same choices. So even, even if um, we, we could all vote independently, um, we should still have that that ability, and and since the number of polling places is diminishing, I know our um, uh, the, the the voting centers here uh, all have accessible voting machines. 
so we should we should have that that opportunity um but again you're always going to have a problem <clears throat> excuse me you're always going to have a problem because machines technology doesn't always work and you're you're you know you need to make sure that the people who are staffing those precincts and those vote centers uh, really are able to make whatever changes, fix the machine, do whatever to make sure they they work. Because even in a in a precinct where you only have uh, let's say 2,000 people coming in to vote over a 12, 13 hour period, our polls are open from 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. Um, you may only get two or three blind people. Um, now you may get people who who are visually impaired. Um, who who want to put their noses up to the screen, uh, and you know we all know those folks. They they're not they're they're legally blind or just on the other side of it. Um, and but you know maybe more people who go and believe in voting in person uh, would use the voting machines that that uh, the accessible machines rather than straining their eyes and having their noses up against the screen if they knew they worked and they could use them. Paul, it says you're muted. Paul had some difficulty earlier with his audio, so I'm not, not sure if this is that. That's why I'm old school and still use the phone. <laughs> so let's hope people there can hear are. me now. We can. Very good. We can. So, so um, the uh, we've had an interesting situation in Florida because it, it's been very fractious in terms of getting accessible mail ballots approved, and we ended up having to go to court and a variety of other things. But one of the interesting things that that did um, is that it caused. Um, it caused election officials to look pretty hard at the degree to which voting machines were actually being utilized um, by folks with disabilities. And the numbers of people with disabilities who used machines throughout the state of Florida was woefully low. I mean, I think under 100 statewide. Mm. Um, I don't know what the situation is in California, but do you think we should be concerned about that, or is it still just a question of choice? Well, I think we should be concerned. But look, um, I, I, I think it is first and foremost an issue of choice. I suspect that ultimately, assuming there is a way of ensuring, and you know, I'm concerned about hacking too. Not to the extent that some of your some of your election offic uh, officials may be in Florida, Paul. But right, I, I think there is a, a security concern and a valid one. But assuming that uh, those issues can be addressed, um, I, I think that the trend in this country is for people who want convenience. And so there may yes. come a time when there are no polling places, period, that everybody votes online. 
Yeah, I, and and and, and yeah. that may well be. I I I think you may be correct. But again, in in your view, <clears throat> it remains an issue of choice, and it and it really yeah. doesn't matter um, how much those voting machines actually end up costing. No, I I think it's a matter of choice. I don't know how much a regular voting machine costs, but I I don't imagine uh, these days uh, the longer that the accessible machines are manufactured, I, I have to think that the prices will come down and not be too much uh, higher than than for uh, a standard machine. So, yeah, yeah the, it's a matter cool of choice. Thing, the cool thing that's happening is that is a lot of a lot of um, counties are 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 now acquiring voting machines which happen to be accessible and which everybody's allowed to use. Mm-hmm. That's what our county is, did. Yeah, which is which is a which is a perfectly appropriate and effective thing for them to do. <clears throat> I I'm just not sure that a lot of the a, a lot of the the folks who aren't blind know that there are some real advantages to using those machines. Um, and and so, you know, I guess for me the 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 issue the issue that predominates in terms of the election stuff is training. I don't and 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 you. You provided a story that 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 highlights the need for that, but I but I think it's I think it's ongoing. I think poll workers have no idea uh, often how to use machines. I have yeah. always yeah. voted with machines and will always vote with machines because I believe that's that's the most appropriate way to vote, and and I'm not prepared to do mail ballots un- unless they're fully returned. Right, so, understood. And again, yeah. it, we we have choices, and we can do that. Right. And maybe fifteen years after I stop voting at the polls, maybe I'll I'll give it a try. I mean, I've been voting. We didn't have the twenty-one-year-old vote before I was twenty-one. So my first election mm-hmm. was nineteen seventy-two presidential election. I've I've only missed two elections in uh, fifty-plus years, and one of and one of the times I missed a, a, a vote was the day Don and I got married. So. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think your priorities were correct. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's see if we can get some feedback on, on perhaps voting from folks, Miss Marianne. Area code four, three, four. Hello, um, this is Trisha, and I have a story, a voting story, too, a couple of them. I have gone to the polls faithfully to use the accessible uh, voting machines with a talk, even though I'm partial and could probably stick my nose up all on the screen, but it would, it would mm-hmm. be even worse. Um, mm-hmm. my, the problem is a lot of times the software doesn't work or the people, there's very sweet people at the polls and they are the most wonderful, sweet people, don't know what to do. They don't know the code. They're trying to call the registrar's office. They can't get a hold of anybody because they're so busy. And so I end up having to vote with a paper ballot and use cited assistance even when I don't want to. There was another time when I spent an hour at the machine because the software wasn't working right. It was 
skipping candidates. It was getting stuck. It wouldn't let me, it would not let me review my ballot when I tried Mm -hmm. to review review my ballot, but it also wouldn't let me cast my vote. It was, I spent an hour at the machine trying to vote. When I left, I said, they offered me a sticker. I said, I think I deserve three or four stickers because I was at the machine for an (laughs) hour trying to vote. I so. So I really, because I know it costs money and I know it was a great fight to get it. And so yep. even with all the problems, I still go and I'll stand there because I told my friend, I said, if you want to go do some grocery shopping or something and come back, I'll, I'll probably still be standing at the machine. <laughs> Another yep. problem is a lot of times it's too noisy and I can't hear. I hear yep. very well, but I don't concentrate. I have I have mm-hmm. some uh, deficits with fo- with focus and concentration. So right. this last time, I asked him. I said, "Please, please, please! It's hard enough as it is. Please, could you ask people to kind of just bring it down? Just, just tell them someone is voting with her ears." And Got it. but even last time, yeah, even last time there was one vote I could not do because it was a write-in. So. There, there, there are some problems with the machines, but I will still continue to go and fight it out with the machines. I think that's excellent. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Yep. Miss Marianne. We have, um, sorry, Carla. Hello. Hello. This hey, Carla. Is How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, my friend, Paul? I am doing well, Miss McMurray. Yeah, the great metropolis of McMurray, Pennsylvania. And in the great metropolis of McMurray, in my precinct, I'm the only blind person that votes. I'm the only one in town, probably. But I have to say that um, these people are great. They know me. They see me coming. They get my card. They take me to where the machine is. I sit down. I don my headphones and I vote and it's the greatest feeling that, you know, to be able to vote independently. And there's something to be said for showing up in person on election day and be with the community. And I want to say that um, the thing that fear that uh, uh, scares me the most is if we don't get out there and use those machines we're going to lose them and i live alone so um if i had to do a mail-in ballot i would lose my privacy because i'd have to get help and so and and again there wouldn't be that thing about going out and voting and i've seen so many things where if you don't use it you lose it I've gone to restaurants that used to have menus, and they, I've gone in, and they say, oh, we don't have a menu anymore. Nobody ever showed up. And, and I said, oh, do I look like nobody? You know, but they said, <laughs> so they quit, they quit publishing the menus. And so I think that we really need to use what we fight for. And I feel very strongly about that. And that's, that's what I want to say. Well, I, I think it's a good point. I certainly have a have a feeling that that we ought to use it i i had the same experience as you did um i had a a a precinct that was mine where 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 the 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 same poll workers were there year after year 
and and they 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 knew me very well and they would sort of say ah oh, hello mr paul glad you're here to vote again yeah, yeah. we we got the machine ready for you yeah let me let me just say and hello carla we haven't hello. we haven't talked in a, in a good hello. while good to hear you um but the trend the trend that may not come to to where you are carla it, but it may well come to where paul is is again they're doing away with precincts and they're doing away with precincts individual precincts for two reasons one the the physically disabled community has pounded the drum and and the elections people really aren't able to find enough uh, accessible polling places um, people who used to have um, polls in uh, in their businesses or in their homes, which were access were inaccessible, don't they can't do that anymore. Um, so that you're seeing move toward the polling centers, and where you may not get the same people over and over again. Right. <clears throat> so so that's that's definitely something to to look out for because there may come a time. Uh, probably more likely where Paul is than where you are, Carla, where, where you'll go to a polling center, you'll be one of half a dozen precincts, uh, and, and uh, you may not get the same people. And then you'll, you're obviously a great trainer given that you've been doing it for years and years and years. Right. And I think that's something you can do in a smaller community than, than in a, in a larger, you know, more metropolitan area. Right. I'm going to say one more thing. My council chapter worked very hard with the election affiliates or officials around here. And we um, took our chapter members out to um, where the machines were being demonstrated before they were put in the polling places. We also took, um, we um, took time to educate the poll the poll workers and worked with them and um so it was a two-way street and it was a, a real project for our our chapter and and i have to say you know we're a small chapter we're a small place but i was very proud at, at how they handled it and how they advocated and and how the, the um the people that had that were setting up the machines and the poll workers and the people at the courthouse responded and it, you know i think it's really important for chapters to take these kinds of things on for projects and to get out there and to be visible in the community i think that is so important so that's important too and so that's what i'm going to say our, our chapter also did a lot of that and i agree with carla that it's really important um to be seen by the commissioners by the election um the um, supervisors of election to have them at your meetings to let them know who you are and so they become comfortable with you and you become comfortable with them we've had the voting machines brought to our um chapter meetings and our expo that we hold every year i talk like it's I, i've moved from florida but in that chapter i guess the the the, the one the one thing that that i think came out of uh, of what carla said is um is is how valuable um using machines can be and and providing training the other thing that i was going to say to you mitch is i think the other factor um that's affecting um uh, voting at on polling day is the amount of early voting that's happening 
Oh, yes. How early was it this year? It was it was at least the last election. It was maybe thirty days. <clears throat> I mean that's that's crazy. Um, yeah. And and that's and again, you know, I don't want to get off on my soapbox on on where our culture is headed, but we are getting less willing to do things that are a little more difficult. Like stand in lines for eight hours? Yeah, basically. Um, and so, and, and the notion for, of early voting, I think, was, was to accommodate folks who have crazy work schedules or family obligations or, you know, whatever it is, <clears throat> excuse me, that, um, that, that makes it possible for the, or difficult for them to vote on election day. Now, I always thought, and I don't know if they still do it in Louisiana or not, um, but they used to have their elections, except for, for federal elections, of course, on Saturdays. And, and there are countries that, that have uh, all of their voting on Saturday, and I don't, I've always thought that was a tremendous idea because mm-hmm. you're more likely to get you know, more folks home from work and perhaps you wouldn't need as much uh, absentee voting uh, if if uh, voting were held not during a work day. Although some employers will will allow you uh, paid time off to go vote, but I suspect if you're a, a small business owner, uh, you're not in a position to say, "Oh yeah, go take two hours. I'll pay you. Go vote." So. Let's take let's take one more call about voting, and then let's talk about some other uh, ADA issues. Okay. Uh-huh. If we have one. Yeah, we do. So let's. Well. <clears throat> Teresa Petrie from Jacksonville, okay. Arkansas. Can you hear me? Yep. <laughs> yes, okay, ma'am. Cool. cool. Um, well, um, I just moved out here in April, so I, um, there hasn't been an election for me to uh, take part in. But when I was living in the city, you know, when I was living in Little Rock, um, I must admit I did take advantage of early voting since 2008, except uh-huh. for um, on a primary. Um, it was in a primary um, that we had in February, and I think it was the election year. And my son, who was uh, 14 at the time, he couldn't vote, but he went with me to assist me and read to me. But I was so glad um, when I uh, went and voted early, though, because I did. Um, I was told by Sandy Edwards to make sure I asked for headphones, and I did. There you go. Excellent. And I asked for headphones. I don't know if they have them out here. Um, in Jacksonville, but I'm going to, when I um, get all my registration um, changed and everything, I'm going to ask um, if there are the accommodations with head mm-hmm. or headphones, because I don't, you know, I want that. I value my privacy just like the next person does when it comes to voting. Oh, I think you should. Yes. Yep. Last time I voted <clears throat> on the actual election day, besides that primary in 2008 was, um, uh, in the presidential election of 2004, 
I voted. Um, in fact, we were trying to find our our right polling place. We went one place and they told us no. We went to another place and they told us no. And we found where we were supposed to go. I don't know how many hours I missed out of work, but I think I got an excused absence because it was election day and I was voting. Well, excellent. And Ms. Teresa? In the um, yep, city go ahead. Of Little Rock on election day, I know they have a, um, a number that you can dial for um, a free cab ride to get to your polling place if you do not drive. That's I don't a good idea. About, I don't know about it out here in Jacksonville, but I know in Little Rock, North Little Rock, they offered that. So that was um, awesome for those who um, couldn't drive for some reason. You know, so they didn't, you know, they couldn't use no, none of those. None of those party things ever worked for me, Miss Teresa. I, I, I was never able to get any of them to pick me up. How about you, Mitch? Did you ever did you ever get any of them to pick you up? No, because when I was voting in person, uh, they didn't have uh, they didn't have that. And and again, living in a big city and I lived I lived in L.A. Right. up until 2002 and now Pasadena. Uh, the polling place was uh, was usually no more than two or three blocks from where I was living. Right. Yep. Yep. Well, and that's um, that's where mine my, was too. My first yeah. election, though, when I um, first moved to Arkansas and I was in Little Rock, it was 1992. So uh -huh. need I not have to say who was running? And so you know there was a big turnout <laughs> on election day, especially in Arkansas. Uh -huh. And um, when I first, you know, that was my first election. Um, voting in and the um the polling place they used those old-fashioned levers and my husband was helping me and of course he had to read everything to me and then after five minutes somebody can't came in and said your time is about up <sighs> like well wait a minute <laughs> nobody's ever rushed me in a in a in the booth before now yeah that's not fair no, so um, I went home and I reached out, and I know he was of the other organization, but I reached out to him. I left a message with his wife because I was very distraught and very upset, and uh -huh. I knew this person, and I told him what my I left a message for her to give to him what my experience was in the um in the um in the polling place that evening, and um and I think eventually they had a protest down at the Capitol with people of uh, a number of disabilities um, who wanted um, more accessible um, uh, accommodations in the polls, in the polling places. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I Excellent. did do absentee ballot two times in my um, voting history, not here in Arkansas. Uh -huh. Well, actually, I was out of the reason I did, though, I was out of town, you know, uh -huh. away from where I could vote. And one was when I was in college and one was when I was at Lions World. So those Excellent. were my only exceptions of voting yep. absentee. Thank you, Ms. Teresa. You're welcome. We appreciate it. So with it, there are other things that counties have attempted to do, like, like make Braille information available to folks who are blind, make large print information available to folks who are blind, uh, make emails available to folks who are blind. Do you think we've done a good job, Mitch, in terms of taking advantage of those opportunities? Um, you know, again, I, I really, I really don't know. I, what I do know 
is that, uh, again, using my current experience as an example, mm-hmm. uh, I get tons of information from the city of Pasadena on, uh, on when our uh, accessibility commission's meeting, when mm-hmm. there are uh, meetings of the city council. One of the good things about here is that um, there is a, an electronic newspaper that we've subscribed to for a number of years that's free of charge. They mm-hmm. make their revenue from advertising. And so, um, you know, it has nothing to do with, with this, the city government, but it's it's really a great way of, of keeping updated on what's going on. If you want, even, you know, back when I was, I was uh, still working for, for L.A., uh, we didn't have many requests, but we did have a couple of requests for uh, material in accessible formats. We required our city departments, uh, some were more uh, willing than others, to have an ADA statement at the bottom right. of, of any document to allow you to, to um, in those days, call in, probably now right. call and or email in, and give sufficient notice. The ADA says, however, that you have to give um, at least um, at least 72 hours, and sometimes, depending on what it is, maybe uh, five business days notice. The folks that are really in tough shape, though, are the folks who, who need sign language interpreters because there's a terrible shortage. Yes. And from uh, from uh, a woman that used to work for me, who is a sign language interpreter, uh, she's saying sometimes you need two weeks. To, oh to, my gosh. So we we <laughs> and maybe that's just something that that's uh, you know here in this area. But but um, I I think that uh, that governments are more willing. Uh, we had a braille printer uh, that mm-hmm. we bought way back when that uh, that we uh, we utilized occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we have a we had a fella. He's kind of a he's sort of one of those serial litigants. Um, but uh, back somewhere early two thousands, I know he sued our Department of Water and Power because he claimed that they wouldn't provide him with his bill in Braille. And the first I heard about it was when someone from DWP came to me and said, did you know so-and-so is filing a lawsuit? I said, no. And all he needed to do was to call me and I could have, you know, turned the screws a little bit and get DWP to do it. But as I said, this, this individual was, uh, we thought kind of a serial litigant and because uh, this wasn't the only suit that he's filed over the years. So uh, every city, every county is required to have a person responsible for ADA compliance. Mm-hmm. And if you care at all about getting your materials made available, however you, in however a format, whatever a format you prefer, you need to go online if you use a computer or call your city manager's office or your city council mm-hmm. person's number, and yep. you need to find out who that person is, and you need to put their phone number 
an email address in your in your uh, address book, and you need to take advantage of that. And if a city or a county doesn't have such a person, um, they're violating the ADA. Yes. Yeah, I, th- that's accurate. So how about the the city of Los Angeles's website? Did 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 you guys do a good job of <laughs> making your website accessible? We tried. <laughs> we had, I think we went through three or four um IT directors in like 5 or 6 years. One of my staff was was the was the person responsible for for working on that. Um you know, I, I I tell people I'm kind of a a, a tech dinosaur, uh, and I really didn't uh, get into uh, looking at our website. Although I know there were there were major issues, and I trying to remember the last time I went on the LA City website. I I know when I was doing consulting, I, I went on a number of of municipality websites, mm-hmm. and some of them were good, and some of them weren't so good, but. Um, you know, it's, I would, I would hope today that the city's website is accessible. One of the things that, um, a lot of cities and counties are doing, uh, and it was of particular interest to me because I was a recruiter. I was a senior recruiter for a few years in my city career. Um, but, but taking job applications via the internet, uh, when I worked recruitment, uh, I got paper applications to review using a reader. Uh, right. But nowadays, uh, an awful lot of places, you apply uh, over the Internet, and hopefully, uh, and I've not heard any complaints specifically with an ACB. I haven't heard anybody say that they've had a problem with that. But uh, hopefully, if a government entity is, excuse me, is taking uh, applications that way, they darn well better be accessible. Uh, I I think there are a lot of places that actually are not, which is interesting. Um, but so far, we're not doing as much about it as I think we should be, but there, there are a lot of places that aren't. Um, I think that the biggest place where the Department of Justice has intervened over the past five or six years has been over... Uh, over county websites, but interestingly enough, we filed a complaint in Florida about the the state website, which was accepted by DOJ, but nothing's been done. So, well, don't don't hold your breath. You know when I am, when I am not. I <laughs> when I would have and 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 again going back to my my uh, tainted career in government, uh, I, I at one time investigated discrimination complaints. Uh, not not just on disability issues, but all EEO matters. Right. And, and I'd have I'd have somebody come into my office, and they'd say, "What do I, you know, what's my approach?" And I said, I'd say, and it, it's perhaps even more a problem now. Um, the Department of Justice may take three to five years to investigate yeah. and adjudicate a case. Now, our or Department longer. of Fair Employment and Housing. <laughs> Uh, they're a little less. Uh, they take a little less time. But the other thing to keep in mind is that your county or your city may have a complaint procedure. We had our Civil Service Commission 
And I would argue, I argued a number of, of complaints when I found, uh, well, either, either way, whether I found that there was sufficient evidence or when I found that there wasn't sufficient evidence. We had a civil service commission and we take a case too, and they would adjudicate it. And that happened a whole lot faster than it does on the state or the federal level. I assure you. Well, I think that's right. Um, so if you had to give marks, let's say, to um, municipalities and, and states in, in terms of their, their ability to have appropriately implemented the ADA, where would you say we are now? Six out of ten, seven out of ten? Yeah, I'd say I'd say six out of ten, six and a half out of ten, because yeah. again, it depends on the state you live in. It depends yep. on how strong your advocacy efforts are, um, and and so it it really still is up to us. And uh, you know, I I mentioned a minute ago that everybody, every entity has to have an ADA person. I think. Part of your responsibility as an advocate is not only to find out who that person is, but maybe meet with them and, and find yeah. out what their level of expertise is. Um, you know, as, a, as an example, a lot, of, a lot of cities and counties, their ADA person is, is their building official or is someone in their um, in their in their uh, building department, because yep. for a lot of a lot of folks, they they think ADA access is only physical access, and they know right. nothing about programmatic access. Mm -hmm. And so, one of the things that you need to find out if this is an issue for you is, hey, ADA coordinator, um, what do you know about programmatic access? What do you know about about an an accessible website. What do you know about providing um, Braille or or large print or electronic material so that we can we can read it? So mm -hmm. uh, most of the ADA people um, know physical access to a greater or lesser degree, but less less so regarding programmatic access, which for us is perhaps more important. Mm -hmm. Do you um, do you believe that um, do you believe that it's appropriate uh, now um, for us to kind of leave the ADA where it is, or do you think we should go in and ask that it be amended? I am going to um, probably be disagreed with by the vast majority of your listeners, your streamers, absolutely positively don't touch it. Yeah. Unless you live in a state, and California would be one of them, where you know you're going to have a fairly supportive uh, legislature. Right. But on, on, you know, with your state, uh, state uh, access statutes, on the federal level, no way, no how. Um, yeah. I, I've been saying that for for 15, 20 years, and it's it's more more to the point now. Yeah. Um, there are lots of flaws in the ADA. We all know that. 
But every year, and I get the emails from, from folks about it, every year there are two, three, four, five bills introduced, typically in the House, to water down the ADA. And right. the last thing we want to be responsible for is to is to introduce legislation to broaden the ADA and have some Yahoo um, uh, come in there and say no 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 we need to we need to make it less uh, uh, less uh, uh, fewer requirements so no this is not the place of the time this is what we uh, have to to live with and uh, no it, it it it's too dangerous I would agree with that. I don't I would disagree with that, with that at well. all. I think the climate would be terrible right now to introduce any new legislation or amend any legislation. However, do you feel the same way about regulations, or do you think we should be putting more pressure on the Department of Justice, uh, Mitch? Oh, absolutely. The regulatory process is totally different, although right. there is a Supreme Court or pending Supreme Court case that might really clip the wings of no agencies vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis, uh, the uh, ability to to put out regulations that aren't strictly to the letter of what the the actual statute calls for. So, right. no, I think I think the regulatory process at this point in time, and it may change this term. But at this point, uh, yeah, that's that's what we have to do. And ACB does a, a tremendous job uh, in uh, in putting forward our uh, our point of view. I'm sorry that Clark has has left. Uh, I think he did a tremendous job. All of our governmental affairs people, uh, since before the time that uh, I was president, and you were president, uh, have done a, a great job at that. And yes. uh, so that, yeah, that's the that's the way to go to deal with the the regulatory agency until such time as maybe we can't. So <clears throat> we haven't talked really a lot about Title One of the ADA and its impact at the state and local level. Um, is it is it your feeling that Title One was actually pretty effective or not? Yeah, I think I think it's been pretty effective. <clears throat> um, you know, um, I think the problem is that a lot of folks who need accommodations or should have accommodations don't really know what they should be asking for, and a lot of employers don't understand the the process, the back and forth process that is required. Uh, to come up with an accommodation that works for the individual and works for the employer. Um, we used to have a really great organization here in California, Sen Sensory Access Foundation, and they'd go out. They had a big department of rehab contract, and they'd go out, and they'd uh, assess a work site, and they would write up a report, and they would let the employer know um, these are the things that, that the client needs, either whether the client was uh, going for the job for the first time or had lost vision, um, and and these were the things that uh, that he or she needed to uh, to keep the job. So um, 
I think Title I has been more effective, although I should also point out, and I haven't seen the statistics for, for a while, but um, a number of years ago, uh, the EEOC put out uh, that only somewhere between 5 and 10% of ADA-related complaints that were filed were actually uh, adjudicated in the plaintiff's favor. Now, I don't know if that was because the plaintiff wasn't asking for the right things or really wasn't qualified to do the job. I don't know. But um, if, if, you, if you want to take advantage of Title I, you, you really need to be as knowledgeable as you can be about what you need to do the job. And you really yes. need to know, is this a job that I can do? I mean, right. you know, <laughs> there are jobs that some of us can't do or shouldn't do. So, mm -hmm. so th those are the, those are the points I would make about title one. But, uh, you know, in all the years I did ADA, I still preferred title one. It was still my area of expertise and it's an area, it's the area that I think has been most effective uh, when you look at the entire ADA picture. So, so clearly you would, you would argue that, uh, that particularly the recruitment process was significantly improved in terms of, in terms of being more open to people with disabilities. Well, at least, you know, from the, from the city's perspective, and that was my, my primary experience. Uh, heck, I used to do job fairs and that was, that was great fun. Although I never, Yep. I went out with one of my staff. We did job fairs on college campuses, and I don't remember ever having someone with a with a disability that my staff told me about. You know, I I'm not sure people with disabilities go to job fairs, but uh, but I I think Title One has been more, most effective, and I think particularly as as people in positions of authority in hiring positions. Um, you know, uh, us old folks, we age out and the younger people yes. move in. And I think they're more willing to accommodate someone with a, with a, uh, an obvious disability. Uh, and even if it's not an obvious disability, if someone, if they mention it, uh, you know, they're, they're willing. I, I had a situation because I did interviews and I hired my own staff. Um, and not being able to see them, uh, the last question I would ask um, someone I was interviewing is, is, and DOJ told me I could, uh, mm -hmm. I'd say, um, I can't see you. I don't know if you have a disability, but do you have any kind of disability where you would need an accommodation from us? Uh -huh. And I had a woman tell me, she said, well, thank you for asking. I have migraines monthly, and mm -hmm. it usually means I have to take a day off. I said, okay. And I hired her, and she worked for me for a couple of years. She was, she was one of my trainers, actually. That's excellent. So I guess we could probably take one or two final calls and, and then wind down, Miss Marianne. Okay. Well, we have uh, <clears throat> Nora. Yep. Hello, everyone. Um, hey, Nora. Uh, hi. Um, 
uh, I would like to see it get off the ground. Right. Uh, and, you know. and the way the, the CAPS programs have evolved as well, yeah. um, you know, Disability California, Disability Florida are, are, are yep. really pretty good places to get advice from as well. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that takes you right away, Joseph, from, uh, from whatever entity you're trying to, you're trying to deal with. Um, and and they can act entirely, essentially, uh, on your behalf and independently. So, so yeah, I think it'd be good. All right. Well, All right. thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Yeah, Pam has Miss Pam. You got one minute. Okay, I'll make it very quick. Um, the thing is, we cannot use the things like the autumn the um, accessible voting machines, the Braille menus at a restaurant, anything else unless we know about them. And I think a big problem is the news does not, the news media doesn't like to cover people with disabilities unless they do something really stupid, like get robbed, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, and so unless we know that something is available, we're not going to to use it. And so we we have to get have ways of getting the information that it's out there for us to use. Yep. Pam, there's Ms. a Pam? three letter word that I would suggest you try. Ask. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you Absolutely. Know, whether you know or not, even if you think they don't, ask. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gotcha. So, so Mitch Pam raises really two questions, and let's try and answer each of them in 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 about thirty five seconds. seconds. First, <laughs> is Mitch? Do you think that um, that blind people need more training in the ADA these days? Have they forgotten what it's all about? One word answer: Yes. Yep. <laughs> um, the, the other question is: Do you think that? Um, the media is less likely to print disability stories unless they're ugly? I think the media is more likely to print stories about anything that gets that's clickbait. Um, I think that yeah. the media is so wedded to uh, getting getting viewers, getting people to uh, to click on a website that the news is primarily negative regardless of whether it has to do with persons with disabilities or not. Yep. I think I agree with that. Mr. Mitch Pomerantz, we thank you very much for giving us two hours of your time. Um, and, and I know at, at a somewhat difficult moment and at a time when <clears throat> you hadn't initially expected to be on our program. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so it's, we it's very time much for my evening. It. It's time for my evening beer. I think that's right, sir. Um, so <laughs> thank, thank you for you so having much. me, Paul. Yep. And and thanks, everybody, for being a part of the discussion tonight. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure that we came to the conclusion I thought we might when I wrote up this program. So it will be interesting um, to see whether we get any feedback with regard to this stuff. At this point, I don't have any idea what we're going to do uh, next week on Tuesday topics. But if, uh, if, if you check by Friday, all of our stuff will be out there and people will know what we're going to be doing. 
Um, look forward to having all of you back again next week. And thanks to all of the folks who are part of our production team. And good night.